Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City, a for-purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families. For more information, visit culturecity.org. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sharp and Hot. I am your host, Emily Peterson, coming to you live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn, episode number 119. I have this method now of marking the passage of time because I went to dim sum again today with my NYU students, and I remember talking about it a year ago, and I can't believe that a year has passed. But here we are. I am far overstuffed on dim sum. I ate way too much. Uh, so I got myself a ginger beer and I'm hoping that that helps. I think maybe it's because I left my house super early because I'm paranoid about being late and I will be two hours early and sit in a parking lot before I'm late for anything. Um, and so I was really early. I had an extra cup of coffee and by the time it was time to eat, I was really hungry and ended up overindulging on NYU's dime. So I got myself ginger beer, pulled myself together. And here we are. And I'm aware that a year has passed. We have made it to March. It is a lovely and warm day. I have gotten the shipment notification on all my packets of seeds for the summer garden, which really excites me. And I'm just looking at the 10 day weather forecast, hoping that there's no snow coming our way and that it stays just like this. I've also made it to the end of my month of sobriety. I didn't have a drink for the entire month of February, and now I'm faced with this idea of going back to being someone who drinks regularly. And I got to say, it's been a really fascinating social experiment with myself for a number of reasons. The best outcome has been that I wake up pretty much without an alarm at 5.30 every morning, ready to hit the day, wide awake, bright-eyed, and excited. And which is good because I have a, a three month, a three month, a three year old who wakes up at six, six thirty and he doesn't care how many glasses of wine I've had the night before. And so being able to be awake and already have a cup of coffee in me when he pitter patters into the kitchen has been awesome. And so I'm like kind of having this conversation with myself about what kind of relationship I'm going to have with drinking now that the big month has passed and it's so you know heavy and it's been a fairly big life change for my husband and I. And I know he's very much excited to go back to being someone who has his, you know, nightly ritual of unwinding. And I'm, I don't know, I'm really thinking about it. And the good thing is I actually have an extra week to think about it because he was in New Orleans with his sister for Mardi Gras for the first week of February. And so I realized that if I just go back to drinking at home like I was tonight alone, like my spouse is in the house and I would literally be the definition of drinking by myself. So I'm probably not going to do that just because I can and I made it a month. But it's it's heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff that I didn't expect it to be as heavy as it was. But let's see. Do I have anything else to update you on in my life? I think that's it. I want to welcome my guests. So I'm very excited to have here sitting in studio with me. And I'm curious. They didn't know that that conversation was going to happen before we went on air. And they're both watching me. So I'm curious to see if you have any feedback for me. Veterans of the culinary and hospitality industry joining me, Chef Hoffman, 
Peter Hoffman, owner of Back 40 East, Back 40 West, who I mentioned off air, we've not ever met before, but I worked with Mary Cleaver, who's one of your sort of contemporaries. Is that the right word? Good colleagues. I love her. She has been a major mentor and motivational feature in my life. And Chef uh, Mike Larhoven of Back 40 West. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. So you have done this cassoulet event for years, right, Peter? Yep. It's probably six or seven. Mm-hmm. So let's start by talking about cassoulet and then um, what... Uh, I feel like cassoulet has this sort of magical, uh, like home cooks like want to make it. Like it's this intense, long process. What is it that has drawn you to cassoulet? Well, you know, um, I, I do think it is this magical dish, particularly for Americans thinking about um, French food and what real French food is and what French country food is, right? Not, not haute cuisine. And um, when I worked at La Colombe d'Or, a restaurant that was doing food of Provence, and this is in the mid-70s, um, cassoulet, they would take out a little square, kind of like, I don't know, an inch square in the back of New York Magazine all through the winter that said cassoulet and had a little drawing of the pot and the beans in it. And, um, you know, it, it has this allure. And um, and so people flock to it. And um, and then, of course, there's all the, the lure around what's a real cassoulet and um, what goes into it and the arguments. And um, the wonderful thing about it, and that's the wonderful thing about having done the festival for six or seven years with six odd chefs each year is is that originally it, it there is no recipe right it's it's beans and meat and <laughs> um and where do you go from there or what did you have in the larder um because it is a winter dish and um as beautiful as it is today um I have to tell you, Emily, winter's not over. I'm so concerned that you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, so uh, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a dish that's all about improvisation. And, uh, and so that's what I love about the way that we do the festival and all the folks that come in. And so it is kind of franks and beans. It's, um, uh, it's pork products and uh, poultry products and how they're cooked and incorporating them in and about diversity and what beans, of course. Um, and we'll talk more about that and um, different choices that people make or we've made and things like that um, as we talk about how to make it. But um, so we do this festival um, every year. And um, this year we're going to have six chefs. Um, I don't know if you want me to talk about sure. them now or. Yeah. Right? Okay. <clears throat> so. Um, let's see. This year we have uh, Cesare Casella, you know, of, formerly of Beppe and Salomaria Rossi, um, now working, uh, I think, exclusively up at the uh, Center for Discovery, which is uh, up in Sullivan County and working with um, educating and training people with uh, disabilities. And so they're coming down and doing a dish and they grow beans there and they have pigs on the farm, so it's their pigs. Um, and then... Um, the culinary director of a new restaurant in town that came up from Philadelphia, High Street, uh, from Philadelphia, High Street on Hudson, John Nodler. Um, then Eric Gambrinowitz, uh, for, who uh, has Restaurant North up in Armonk. 
Um, Jessica Wilson, formerly of Dear Bushwick, just dearly departed, um, but still here in Bushwick. Um, and Mike Larhoven, of course, doing our version. And uh, unconfirmed at this time, uh, Shauna Pacifico, um, currently at Extra Fancy, formerly uh, with me at Back 40 and Back 40 And West. also formerly with Heritage Radio, yeah? I don't, I don't know if she had a show. I know that she is a good friend of Aaron. She's a good friend of mine. We have called her God on this show before. Or genius, I think. Genius was the word that we used. <laughs> I love Shanna. Yep, she's great. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, so we'll see whether she uh, makes it. She was ill during, over the weekend and wasn't sure she could make it all happen. But, um, but in any case, so those are the, those are the chefs that are going to be there. And uh, my good friend Adam Gopnik, who writes at The New Yorker, um, tries to come every year. He will be there this year and offers a little bit of commentary on the dish and the, um, the lure around it and um, uh, usually reads something from some intelligent writer, not him. Um, <laughs> he is an intelligent writer, but um, uh, Robert Cortine and... Um, uh, Jack Kerouac has weighed in on cassoulet. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah. That's cool. Yep. So is each chef responsible for making their version of cassoulet or That's component? Right. Okay, That's so right. maybe, Mike, I'll ask you, what are the main non-negotiable components of cassoulet? Well, there's you have beans. Uh, usually there's some kind of sausage. No, wait, let's talk about the beans specifically. Does it matter if they are white, brown... Everybody is going to bring something different. Okay. Um, I was, I think, one year, somebody did gumbo, right? And yep. I think there was, there was no uh, bean uh, Galen involved. Galen Zamara did, um, well, he, I think he had some beans in it, but he, he was doing a gumbo-style uh, cassoulet um, I, I with think, alligator. Yep. We've done it with chickpeas before instead and done, you know, a, mer- a merguez or something along those lines. So there's room to play. I mean, that's the fun part. It starts with the bean, and then you figure out what bean you want. And we've gone through, you know, dozens of different iterations where we try different things, and it, it's okay, it's not okay, it's great. And it's fun to see what everyone else is going to come up with. Um, so you have your beans, or some form of starch, uh, usually a sausage of some kind. Then there's usually some kind of smoked meat. Uh, we're doing pork belly this year, and then we're also adding in the duck confit, but we're using the duck bodies to kind of give the the duck body and the duck fat to give the beans kind of a nice fatty, unctuous quality. And is this a competition? No. Um, I'm not into competition in that kind of way. There's, we have too much of that in the world. We have too much of that in the, uh, in the food world in particular. It, it, you could very easily turn it into people voting and having judges and then there'd be more salivating going on um, as people looked at that. And um, it's just not how I am in the world. Um, There are six great versions. Um, You may have a favorite or there may be differences, but um, let's let's not look for the best. You know, you don't you don't go to the met and um and look at the paintings and go which one is the best i mean you know matisse is great and so is picasso mine's um, got a what kind of american are you one of them has to be better than the other i know um, 
it's, I mean, it's usually mine, but it's also really fun to see what everyone's going to do, you know? I mean, it's six people who, if we're not already friends, we at least respect each other. I can't wait to see what they're going to do. It's fun. So, uh, I don't know if you guys are television watchers, but Mike, you mentioned that you have a five-month-old. Yes. Congratulations, boy or girl. A girl, Penelope James. Amazing. My son's first name is James. Nice. I love the name James. Um, so, we have... Our television watching has changed as a result of having a little one in the house who's now keenly aware of what's on television. And so we can't watch. Like, I really wanted to watch Fargo. That's not going to happen. I really want to watch X-Files. That's not going to happen. So we watch a lot of, like, home design shows on HDTV. And there's an Ellen DeGeneres design show now where there's this competition where young designers are able to create furniture and someone wins. And it was so, it's so antithetical to her personality because she's this, like, everyone's, like, happy and everyone's dancing and then like but we're gonna do this competition show where every week someone gets sent home and i'm so happy to hear you say that because i sort of feel the same way full disclosure as someone who has participated in culinary competitions before and won uh (laughs) like there is a fun element to it and i don't want to take that away from other people but it's like there is a place for just community and come out of the you know come to a place out of the cold and enjoy each other's cooking right Absolutely. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think about, well, what if you gave out six awards? You know, the the best treat, the best sausage, the best beans, the best, you know, but but I, I'm still going to let people wander around the tables, have their own experiences. Or um, you do like best facial hair. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be a shoe in probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't gotten everybody's headshots together, but I think I'm coming along nicely. Yeah. I don't know. I think taking the, the competition element out is fun, but like you said, people aren't salivating as much for the like, who's going to win aspect of it. So for people who are in the New York city area, what day, what time, where do they So go? it's going to be this Sunday, uh, March 6th, uh, from six thirty till we wind it up around nine, nine thirty. Um, you can buy tickets. There are still some tickets for the 7.30 slot um, uh, on our website, back40nyc.com. And um, what that gets you is entry into the restaurant, uh, plenty of red wine and probably some white wine, too, to go along with it, and, uh, and the tasting all the cassoulets. So were you looking at me like I was crazy for giving up alcohol for a month? <laughs> Not at all. Um, you know, we, my wife and I have, we haven't done that so much, but sort of noticed uh, for many years sort of where it affected family life um, um, adversely. And so there was a rule for many years that there was no drinking during the school week because um, it made post-dinner time uh, more stressful. Um, You know, alcohol, wonderfully and not so wonderfully, is a disinhibitor. And uh, then you can say some things you really didn't mean to say. Yeah, and I feel like working in the food industry, in the hospitality industry, I I feel like I have found myself sort of not hiding, but like, oh, but it's just wine. Like, this is what I do for a living. It's just wine. And this excuse, I'm like, no, that's not really a good enough excuse. How do you feel about the rule of just not drinking at home? Uh, my life doesn't, I'm, no, that, that's, that's where I actually want to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, even on whether that's the weekend or during the week, I don't, you know, my kids are not in school anymore. Um, 
but that's a that's a pretty comfortable place um and i i mean i it's a wonderful wind down um there's you know how much and how often and is is sort of where f- the 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 questions come from me not about where i do it um my productivity the following day is always higher if i haven't had anything to drink and uh, i i can read for a longer period of time before i fall asleep with the light on um if i haven't had a glass of wine I had a really nice glass of Amaro last night when I got home, and I didn't say anything to the baby that I regret. <laughs> we are still, we're still friends. We're still getting along just fine. So how has fatherhood changed your work-life balance so far? Uh, it's still pretty new. Um, trying to get out earlier, not always working. You know, try to, try to get myself out by 8 or 9 instead of 10, 11 every night. Um, Sometimes going in a little bit later, but overall, nothing too significant yet. I think those days are coming. How does she sleep? Uh, yeah, I haven't slept in three years. Yeah, I want to tell you it gets better, but I'll, my kid it gets has, better. <laughs> yeah, from the yeah when they move out, it gets better. It's much better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I was you know freelancing and working for myself by the time uh, our son arrived, and so it was like I didn't have necessarily anywhere to be immediately the next day but he is not a pro sleeper i gotta say but he is a pro eater and i am so thankful for the fact that by some miracle i've gotten my kid excited about eating leaves he won't eat lettuce he won't eat spinach he won't eat arugula but he will eat a pile of leaves with no problem which is like a nuance that i'm not going to point out to him loves to scramble eggs won't eat them loves avocado avocado is his first food and we just had so much like it it's been the coolest thing to introduce someone to new Mm -hmm. foods and new flavors and like watch their face and five weeks old is so it goes so fast yeah luckily my wife's still not at work so yeah she's she's taking the brunt of it is she in the hospitality industry as well she is all right. <laughs> well, I wish you all of the best. Um, Peter, When we, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, would you tell me a little bit about your history and your life story and how you got to here, and I'll ask you for some young advice for young people just getting started? Sure. Thank you. Good we'll pleasure. be right back after the break.
Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City, a for-purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families. This is Culture City's founder, Julian Maha. Culture City was really born out of uh, necessity. You know, it was born when my, uh, you know, currently six-year-old boy was diagnosed with autism. Uh, his name is Abram and he's non-verbal. And even though my wife and I were both physicians at the time, it was really hard for us to find any resources at that point to help him. All the other organizations out there that we know of, um, they do phenomenal work, but their main focus is basically finding a cure for autism. Our main focus is basically trying to prepare the community to accept not only children with autism, but their families as well. You know, in addition to that, we also want to provide help to these families in the here and now. You know, so tangible things like, you know, iPads for nonverbal kids, you know, financial scholarships, uh, therapy scholarships, you know, art camps, and also some um, lecture series that can teach parents about, you know, dietary issues, um, you know, how to financially plan and things like that. For more information, visit culturecity.org. Welcome back to Sharp and Hot. I am Emily Peterson coming to you live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joining me in the studio is Peter Hoffman, who has had a long and illustrious career in the New York restaurant scene. And I, I feel like you have a lot of wisdom to impart in terms of having seen the sort of this generation's relationship with food and cooking in the restaurants and, the you know, in the farmer's market sort of this generation. I hesitate to say the farmer's market revolution because I recognize that that happened far longer ago, but this time around. It's still happening. Um, you know, it, it's all about, it, we continue to deepen our knowledge of what food is and where it comes from. Um, and that's a process that, you know, uh, it's true. I started a long time ago on my own path, um, but it continues every day that I go to the market and I talk to a farmer and ask a question or listen to a story and um, that remains so key to keeping me um, alive and charged and um, uh, and seeing that people are continuing to think about food in, in really deep and important ways um, and uh, you know how it's what it, what it takes to produce I think we still have as much as we're um, that there are far more people making food. Um, we still think of it as something that essentially is a manufactured product. I mean, what comes into our restaurants, you know, we're calling up for boxes of spinach or bags of onions, and um, where do they come from, and um, what does it take to produce them? It's very, the more we know about that, the, the, the it's not just that it informs our cooking, it informs how we think about the world and um, how we live our lives and who we vote for and um, what kind of what kind of um, priorities and we have to set for how we how we continue on the planet and hopefully we can but um, um, even the bag of onions that come into my restaurant are not necessarily um, uh, helping that process Right. I mean, we yeah, our footprint is a footprint. I mean, we just have to keep thinking about what it is. So um, that's 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 really important. It's not just about um, the sauce on the plate and what it looks like and tweaking little things and sprinkling some microgreens on top. There's a the the the, the deeper story is still a very important story. What's coming next that you see is something that people 
are should be focusing on could be focusing on? Um, no, you know, I guess the other part for me, and it's partly an answer to your question, partly avoiding it um, or sidestepping it, is, is like that the stories behind the food and the stories behind the dishes are so important. And maybe that's why Cassoulet continues to be so important to me. Um, but, you know, there was this story about uh, that uh, Tesco in, in, in England is no longer going to bake croissants in the shape of a crescent. Um, and, uh, you know, so the thing is called is crescent in French, right? So not that we ever say it properly like croissant, but, um, but, um, we've, it's, it's kind of now, um, you know, the, the, uh, the term no longer has meaning. I'm eating a crescent, but it's a straight rolled out, um, piece of dough. Um, and, uh, so what's the story behind that? How did that come out of a culture? What is that dish? Um, and so that, that, that cassoulet is that f- for me as well, so that if people want to argue about what kind of bean and are there tarbay beans in it and, you know, is there smoked lamb in it or not, it has to do with community that you referred to before and, and um, people um, all cooking the same thing or the, the, an approximation of the same thing and having a conversation around it. And um, so that remains really important to me. And, and part of, you know, and that's part of what we do at the restaurant as well and the, the festival is, um, is about having community conversation, not arguments about is this real cassoulet or not. Um, that's, that's, you know, that's silly. That, I mean, you can have that, but that's not... Um, that's not what at, at the end of the day. That's not what is fundamental about. It's them. not what's progressive in any way, shape, or form. Right? Pro- you mean progressive to the conversation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I just ask why are they not making the? It's got to be some sort of efficiency with the machine that the croissants have to be straight. Yeah, something like that. You can get more on a tray. Yeah. Um, oh, takes that. time to, you know, right. do make the curve. Um, oh. Okay, I can't. I'm gonna to have to go and look that up, and then write a strongly worded letter somewhere. <laughs> but in the in the back to you, Chef Mike. What is you going to set your cassoulet apart, or what are you going? Let's say it, say it this way. What are you going to bring to the community experience? I understand there's a particular Italian sausage. So this year we're doing Kodakino. Over the years we've done a variety of different sausages. You know, uh, sausage making is one of my. Uh, favorite things to do and it's kind of progressed to where it's no longer about what I want to make or what I've made but it's kind of a fun thing for my cooks who really or they're all very interested and they want to learn so it's about like what new sausage have they never heard of before they had no idea that they were going to make so this year we're doing Kodakino which is a somewhat large format Italian sausage that consists of pork shoulder and then poached skin and the skin gives it a really interesting kind of luxurious texture. It's really fun to make. We, we um, you know, like I said, large format, which none of my cooks had ever done before. That's like So a, for people who don't know what you're talking about, do you mean like the width of the sausage? Like yeah, like a larger casing, like a, like a beef casing as opposed to just a regular looking sausage. And, okay. you know, getting to make that for them and poaching that is, is fun and interesting and it makes for an interesting dish. I feel like there is no way there's any traditional cassoulet with Kodakino in it, but... I don't really care. It's, <laughs> it's really good, and we're having fun making it. So for people who wanted to recreate the experience at home, can you walk us through the process of making a cassoulet? 
I don't have a recipe at my fingertips, but I've made it before, and it's been really fun. It is really fun. Uh, what we try to do is we first use pick a, pick a few proteins. We do duck, so we start with the duck. Um, we roast the bodies and make a stock, and then we cook the beans in that. And that gives it like a nice richness. There's a little bit of the fat in there that kind of helps the bean a little bit, makes it a little bit more interesting. And if you were doing this at home, that would sort of be the day one part of the process, right? right? Okay. Um, and then we try to make the other... Yes, no. Well, I mean, you, you bring in the duck... And if you're going to take the legs off to make confit, then right. that's sort right. of day one. It's just like breaking down the duck. And I get, and, and the, the great thing about the, I mean, and this is really how the dish evolved, is, is that they didn't, they didn't make duck confit the week that they were making the cassoulet. They kill all the ducks in the fall and make a lot of, uh, and preserve... The confit, that's what it is. It's preserved. So it's all sitting up on a shelf in a jar, covered in fat, cold because the house is cold or down in the cellar. You don't have a refrigerator. And the, uh, the, the congealed fat keeps any bacteria from uh, uh, landing on it. So that's a process to do any time before you're going to do the cassoulet, a week before, a month before, whatever. And when so you the, slaughter your ducks. When you slaughter your ducks. But, or, <laughs> when, when you or buy you, your one duck from the market right, and exactly. break it down, uh, which is also a very respectable thing to do right now. Um, anyway, so we get the beans cooked, and I like doing the beans first and then kind of adding in the duck confit, and we're adding in a little bit of pork belly this time that we kind of smoked for a little while ahead of time. They're adding in the sausage. What's fun about that is they're all very unctuous, fatty foods. And so then we kind of just cook the beans slowly more with all that stuff in there. So it's kind of all the flavors are coming together, all the fats kind of leaking in there and just getting soaked up in the beans. And then at the end, you have this beautiful marriage of all these different flavors and stuff. It's not hard to make. It's just it's time-consuming. Um, but it's really worth it. It's a really fun, amazing thing to do at home. My mouth is literally watering as we're talking about this. I'm so, I'm so much a fan of anything that's like lots of fat coming together. Like, yes, I want to eat that. <laughs> and that's a good time to have a glass of wine. Yes, right, because the uh, the tannins in the red wine sort of cut whatever fat and starch is in your mouth, and sort of revive your palate to eat another version of cassoulet or another spoonful of cassoulet. Uh, and so that, that is a pairing of that, that you don't want to, you know, so for you, no cassoulet in the month of February. <laughs> We're clear. It's March. I'm, okay. getting, I'm in the right. clear. Okay. <laughs> Peter Hoffman and Mike Larhoven from back 40 West. Thank you so much for coming on sharp and hot. The event is on Sunday. It is uh, Sunday, March 6th from 6.30 to 9. Did you say there are, there's time tickets? Yeah, just to space everybody out. So if you go on the website, back40nyc.com, you'll see what's available in terms of the time slots. Wonderful. Are you going to bring your five-week-old? five, month, five week old? I'm not, but now that we've had this conversation, I can't wait to introduce her to Cassoulet. Yeah. That's going to be... It'll be a few years, but it's it's now my it end goal. It won't be years. It'll be here before you know it. <laughs> beans are good for babies. Yep. Beans are awesome. Beans are good for everybody. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I appreciate the time that you give me each week. If you enjoy what you hear, don't forget that you can go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. You can use the hashtag SharpenHot on Instagram, and I will get in touch and send you a cookbook from my collection 
a harissa maker just sent me a couple of tubes of harissa and i'm gonna stick those in to the package to the next couple of people nice. because i can only eat so much harissa uh so that was cool um if you are a food maker and you want to send me some stuff get in touch chef emily at sharpenhot.com you can find me on twitter at chef emily p peter hoffman you are on twitter at peter hoffman nyc and back 40 west mike are you on twitter i couldn't no. find you on twitter no no there's a lot of mike von larhovens those exist. There's None a of them lot are of me. yeah, and there are a lot of them who are not tweeting in English. And I was like, I don't think that's it. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Until Thank next you. week, everyone, have a wonderful week. Pray for spring and keep playing with fire and knives. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.